0: Good morning from me, uh, my name's Peter, I'm one of the pastors here. It's, uh, it's been two months since I've been up here, so, uh, and haven't you people been blessed? Um, not necessarily by my absence, all right, I don't know what you're thinking, um, but you have, you have been blessed. I think the, uh, the sign of a, uh, a healthy church is that uh, the lead guy can go away and everything just keeps going. Uh, And uh, we're in a good place. So thanks to Pete Milliken, wherever he is, at the back there, for holding the fort and for others who contributed. I wish that I could say that Pete did the job without complaining, but I heard almost every message, him bemoaning the fact that we were at the beach and he was working. But anyway, um, really appreciate you guys. Um, I want to just encourage you as a church to keep doing what uh, Paul says to do in Thessalonians. Now, you do do this already, but I just want to read this. Um, now, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Keep doing that. Keep doing that with your pastors. Um, they need your backing. They're not perfect. There's no pastor that's perfect. But um, back them and support them and encourage them. They've done a great job. When it comes to uh, world conflicts in recent years, Australian society has actually had it uh, pretty easy. We had the war in Afghanistan, the war in uh, Iraq, there's been other skirmishes and unless you're a a service person or someone connected to a service person, it hasn't really affected us that much. Uh, It's kind of been like if if there's a a conflict, you kind of send the defence force over there to... Kind of do a job, and we all just have been able to get on with life as per usual. Uh, but that that hasn't always been the case when it comes to conflicts in the world. There there have been a lot of conflicts that have had a massive impact on those at home, and and not just because the conflict itself arrived on um, the country's shore or our country's shores, um, but because the whole country has needed to be geared up for the war effort. Um, people didn't continue on with their normal business. They, they were focused on the war uh, f- from home as much almost as those who were on the front lines. And the the term that was coined that described this is the term, the home front. Um, here's some advertisements of, of some of those times. You can see people were encouraged to grow their own food. I mean, a, a couple of classic uh, uh, kind of world conflicts where the home front was critical was World War I and World War II. Uh, people were encouraged to grow their own food. Um, people at home uh, knitted and created comforts that they would send off to the troops. Um, people were encouraged to buy war bonds to be able to finance the war effort. Um, you can see the uh, the poster on the right there about Hitler. You had women going into industrial jobs which they uh, never used to do they they got jobs in making munitions uh, for the war Um, the home front is critical uh, for the success of the front of the war front the battle front you know one of the, um, the metaphors that scripture uses to describe what's going on in the world is is a battle or a war um shows up all over the place. I mean, it's one of the most notable places in is in Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul talks about the spiritual battle that's going on. And then he goes on to talk about spiritual armour. Scripture is clear that there's been a rebellion going on in the universe and it's been running for thousands of years. Before Jesus came, there was a long reign of darkness and death. And and honestly, you you do not have to look too hard to see Darkness around the place. True? And, and there are some things that are very, very dark, like put your hand in front of your face and you can't see it kind of dark in our world. And if we're honest, there's some things that are dark inside of us. There's, there's darkness that needs to be dispelled. And so Jesus, the light and life of the world comes. And this is the, the biblical story. And he comes in a kind of counter-offensive. Well, he comes to, to drive death and darkness out because he is light and life. He wages war against the devil and his angels and now there's hope everywhere because of him. But what you need to know is that if you're a Christian, you've joined the counter-offensive. That's, that's what you've done. Here's, here's how C.S. Lewis puts it. Uh, Christianity does not think there is a war going on between independent powers. It thinks it is a civil war, a rebellion, and that we are living in a part of the universe occupied by the rebel, enemy-occupied territory. That is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. If you're a Christian, you did not sign up to go on a cruise right you just didn't you didn't sign up to a cruise ship you signed up to a battleship that's what you signed up for and and as a church collectively we are part of 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 god's mission and how he actually wants to do stuff like we are jesus's chosen vehicle to take him to the world to dispel darkness and death we are i mean have a look around (laughs) that's interesting right you look around you go oh geez this is it (laughs) this is who is going to be taking Jesus to to get rid of darkness and death and I say absolutely because the key thing about the church is not that the church is great the key thing about the church is that Jesus is great and he's right in the middle of it you know as we're looking to the year ahead you know there's ways that God would have us to fit in with and join him in his mission of dispelling darkness and death but here's the difference between the war that we're engaged in and other wars and, and I'm not in any way uh, decrying people who have been involved in world conflicts but I just say this the war that Jesus is on about is about restoration that's what it's about it's about restoration it, it's it's not I'm not even going into world conflicts, right? But it's not about blowing people up and dehumanizing people with weapons. It's actually about seeing people rehumanized and restored, seeing the world restored. Now, all this talk about um, a battle and uh, and a war might get you thinking about the front lines and. Uh, the front lines of what God's up to and what's what's the leading edge of that what's uh, the leading edge of what this church is up to what's the leading edge of the mission that God's got going on and they're, they're good questions and uh, I'll, I'll just say to you that the leading edge of this church's mission I think has never been as sharp or as clear as what it is right now but here's the bottom line if we're going to be effective in mission out there, we need to be effective in here as well. That's the bottom line, right? Um, if if we want to be effective on the front lines, and there are front lines for us, we need to be effective on the home front. That's what needs to happen. Um, what we do out there needs to be supported and matched by what's happening <coughs> in here. Many years ago, in the early days of the church, I remember talking to an older, wiser man, and uh, I, I, like most younger guys, you just assume that you knew better than him. So I was telling him uh, what you should do in a church, because I thought I knew, and, and I said, look, I think churches should just be playing offense all the time. And he quite wisely so came back at me, and he said, well, he goes, uh, kind of, he goes, sometimes you play defense, but you play defense so you can play more offense. So, Okay. I get your point, all right? I get your point. Um, that's a roundabout way of, of, of saying this. Uh, strengthen the home front and you strengthen the front line. That's, that's the bottom line. Um, and and I, I think this is where we're at this year as a church. Um, I want to clarify something at this point. Um, war has a way, literal war has a way of focusing people, especially when it gets to the home front. It has a way of focusing people. It helps them to be clear about what they're doing. And and that's actually the kind of effect that any crisis has on people. It tends to get them really focused. There's no doubt about it. Um, But I want to say to you that I think um, much more serious... um, much more serious risks exist in the midst of peacetime. I remember a time when I was teaching. I used to be a high school teacher and we had uh, a tragedy happen to a student uh, in, uh, in our school and um, it, it, was, it, was, it was terrible. It was really, really bad. What happened in the middle of that tragedy and that trouble that came our way is, is that the students and staff and kinda everyone kind of pulled together and I had this teacher come up to me, a uh, fellow uh, teacher come up to me and say, um, when times are tough, um, it, it really shows you what people are like, right? And, uh, and what she was saying was that, that tough times are a test that kind of reveal what you're like underneath. And I, I think there was some truth in that. Um, but as she said it, I had, another, I had another thought and it was this thought. Um, prosperity is a much sterner test of who people really are, all right? Or, peacetime, prosperity is a real test of who we are, what is important to us and how we're wired. Do you know what I'm talking about? Now, that's the test (laughs) at that point, all right? no one, no one denies that there are dangers around when there's a crisis, there's no doubt about it, but there's even more dangers around when things are going well, right, or, or when there's peace for a moment in the middle of the war zone, that's when there's real danger, and You go through the Scriptures and you actually find out that God warns the people of these kinds of things. I mean, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, before uh, the Israelites go into the Promised Land, uh, Moses uh, says this, uh, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws and His decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down in Australia, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and you get the third car." the second car and your silver and gold increase and you have two bathrooms in your house and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It turned out to be less of a warning and more of a prophecy in Deuteronomy and most people don't know it but Moses is actually counted as as a prophet uh, in the Old Testament. And the top shelf prophet under, under Jesus. Um, as a general rule, when times are tough, people tend to pull in close to God, but when times are good, we have a tendency to, to drift. Um, and, and here's the reason for that um, prosperity and peace can put you to sleep. Right? It can put you to sleep. When you go to sleep, you stop noticing things that are important. Stop paying attention to things that are really important. I mean, you can see this dynamic all over the place. I mean, Australia is a very prosperous place, isn't it? It's a very prosperous place. Uh, And we all here, most of us, have got a fair bit of money, don't we? Um, And and we're like, let's be honest, Restoration Church is probably mostly middle class or lower middle class, kind of somewhere around there. Now, some of you are in crisis at the moment um and you're going this is not true for me right now and, and I'm, I'm happy to to give you a get out of jail free card on that one but i bet you it's been true for you a bunch of times um and i bet you in a group of people this size that there's some things that we need to be paying attention to which we're not now this is not just a church risk this is an individual risk as well um now, I've just talked about the individual side of things. If you think about the church, where this church has been over the last two or three years, we, we have had just a cracking season, haven't we? Anyone who's been around, it's like, it is. And the blessing of God on this place and the healthiness of what's going on in here, it's like there is a lot to be thankful for, but uh, there's a side to it. And I don't want to be like nervous Nellie. But there's a little side to it for me that just goes, oh, we could just go to sleep really easily at this point. Now, do I think we've gone to sleep? No, I don't think that we've gone to sleep. But I, I, feel, I feel the danger, you know. I feel, You know when you stand right on the edge of a big drop and even if there's a guardrail there, like for me, I, the hairs on the back of my calves just kind of stand up. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, this is a great view, but that's a long way down. and It's like you're not going to fall, Peter, but my hairs are still standing up on the back of my calves. Um, I feel a little bit like that sometimes in the church, where right? I just go, we, we, just, we just need to be careful. We, we can be really thankful. And I, I don't want to be a party peeper, right? Some of you are going, oh, he's being a party peeper. This is meant to be inspiring. Um, I, I just want us to stay, <clears throat> excuse me, I just want us to stay wide awake, wide-eyed and wide awake. That's what I want. And I want that for us as a church, but I want that for you individually and, and for your families and for your marriages, wide-eyed and wide-awake. That's all, what I want us to be. Why? Because God's mission is not just happening out there. God's mission is all of God's people, all of life, all of the time. That's what it is. Everything. It involves absolutely everything. We're going to preach through a couple of Old Testament prophets in the first quarter of this year. Um, We're going to take a break from the Gospel of John and we're going to work our way through a couple of Old Testament prophets. We're going to do Malachi and we're going to do Jonah. Uh, Jonah's an Old Testament prophet. And and the reason why we want to go through these is not because there's any major thing going on inside of us uh, as a church, but I want us to be wide-eyed and fully awake all the time. Um, and so, what I want to do for a few moments here is just give you a little introduction to Malachi, and then next week we're just going to hook right into it. Now, Old Testament prophets. What do Old Testament prophets do? Well, Old Testament prophets do two things they foretell and they forth right? That's what they do. Some of you go, what's the difference? Well, foretelling is when someone predicts the future, all right? Forth telling is about telling forth. It's about making something public. Now, most of the time when people think about the Old Testament prophets, they think that they're foretelling. But actually, most of the time, the Old Testament prophets are not foretelling. They're foretelling. They're speaking on behalf of God. And you might go, well, what are they saying? Well, they're all kind of saying the same thing. Because the main kind of central agenda of the Old Testament prophets is to call people back to faithfulness to God in relationship with Him. You might go, what sort of relationship was this? Well, it was a covenant. And a covenant is a special kind of relationship. And it's more than a friendship. Uh, think marriage. Um, this, this is the relationship that's, that's kind of most like the one Israel had entered into with God. So when a couple get married, they make vows to one another. And the vows that a couple make when they get married, and we would call it the covenant of marriage, the vows that they make are the rules for the relationship. Now, sometimes when I'm taking couples through premarital before they get married, they go, we want to write our own vows, right? And and I always go, you can do that if you want. But we won't be using them unless I approve them, right? Because let me tell you what often happens with couples when they write their own vows, not all the time, but what often happens is they write down a whole bunch of feelings that they have for each other, right? Now, that's a problem. Not that someone's saying nice things to the other person about how they feel about them, I think lots of those things should be said at a wedding and the reception and all that sort of stuff, right? But when you're actually making vows, what you're doing is you're saying, these are the rules of the covenant relationship that I'm forming with you. Now, it doesn't sound very romantic, but I just want to say to you that every single relationship that you have has got rules by which it operates. And if you break the rules, you break the relationship. Every single relationship. Um, the difference between a marriage covenant and a friendship is you normally don't sit down and talk about what the rules of the relationship are and the friendship but you do actually lay them down and be really clear about them when you're actually getting married to someone so in the old testament israel entered into a covenant at mount sinai with god and there are rules to the relationship you can find those rules in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, the Israelites did pretty well at times when it came to complying with the rules of the covenant and staying in relationship with God. But most of the time they actually ignored God and what he said. So God sent prophets. To speak on his behalf and to call the people back to faithfulness to him, and that's why if you've ever read uh, the Old Testament prophets, they're they're head kickers, right? Because the people are in rebellion against God and they actually don't want to have anything to do with him. And so it can be a bit tricky sometimes to preach on it because sometimes you'll have preachers who just get the Old Testament prophets and go, "We need to say that to every single person." And I would say, well, no, you're talking to different people sometimes, right? It, when I'm talking to you, I, I'm talking to people who actually want to follow the Lord. You know, you don't have your backs, by and large, turned to them. You're not walking away. So you, it's a little bit tricky to kind of thread the needle, so to speak, on how to land the Old Testament prophets, um, Let's talk Malachi for a minute and and you'll you'll see the relevance to Malachi here. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament and Malachi has got the same task as almost every other prophet in the Old Testament, calling people back to relational faithfulness to God. But he's operating a little bit differently to most because even though it looks like it on the surface, he's operating at a different time. And so what I want to do is show you a, a, a timeline of, Old Testament events and help you to see where Malachi is kind of running, and it'll uh, it'll make a little bit of sense. Here's a bit of a timeline here, kind of from prehistory, um, Adam and Eve. You can see there uh, God's call of Abraham. Israel, Jacob, and his family moved to Egypt, um, and then what we've got here is you've got the Exodus. Um, and God raises up the judges, and then the Israelite monarchy begins with Saul, then David becomes king, Solomon builds a temple, the kingdom gets divided, the northern kingdom's conquered by uh, Assyria, Judah's conquered, the temple is destroyed, the people are sent off into exile, then they come back, and the temple walls, sorry, the temple and the, uh, the walls of Jerusalem get rebuilt. And there's two times in the Old Testament where, um, where Nehemiah actually goes to Jerusalem. And, and theologians kind of suggest, and I can go through some of the reasons for it later on, that Malachi was around in between Nehemiah's two visits, right? That's where he was. If you, um, you want to have a look at this one, and there's a bit of... People got lots of different ideas about this, but this is a chart just showing when different books... Of the Bible were actually written um, and you can see according to this guy you see Malachi there is about 435 BC. So according to that chart Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament written and then God goes quiet for 400 years. Now given this can you can you see what's happening here? The people had been exiled, they got whacked They came back after the exile. The temple was rebuilt. and The walls of Jerusalem were being rebuilt. Nehemiah was a key figure in it. Um, God's people had been punished. The remnant were back. Things were settling down. You see that? There was some routine. There was peace. The crisis was over. And things were getting back to some kind of normality. And what happened? Well, if you read the book of Malachi, they start losing it again. Right? And it's the dangers of peacetime. It's the dangers of prosperity. I think there's no better uh, description of um, the context of Malachi, actually, than the introduction that Eugene Peterson gives to it in the message. So I just want to read that with you. Um, Most of life is not lived in crisis, which is a good thing. Not many of us would be able to sustain a life of perpetual pain or loss or ecstasy or challenge. But crisis has this to say for it. In times of crisis, everything, absolutely everything, is important and significant. Life itself is on the line. No word is casual, no action marginal, and almost always God and our relationship with God is on the front page. But during the humdrum times, when things are, as we tend to say, normal, Our interest in God is crowded to the margins of our lives and we become preoccupied with ourselves. Religion during such times is trivialised into asking God questions, calling God into question or complaining about him, treating the worship of God as a mere hobby or a diversion, managing our personal affairs such as marriage for our own convenience and disregarding what God has to say about them, going about our usual activities as if God were not involved in such dailiness. The prophecy of Malachi is made to order for just such conditions. Malachi creates a crisis at a time when we are unaware of crisis. He wakes us up to the crisis of God during the times and the only thing we are concerned with is us. He keeps us on our toes. Listening for God, waiting in anticipation for God, ready to respond to God who is always coming to us. See, it kind of fits (laughs) where we're at. And and, and not in the sense that maybe we're running down the track in the direction that the people of Israel were then, but the the normality. uh, Falling asleep at the wheel, maybe, the possibility of it. What do we want to close this little introduction to Malachi? By reading the first couple of verses of um, of the book, um, and it's it's so piercing. I, those who've been here long enough know I could probably preach on this for about three months, I reckon. Just these two verses. Like here it is, verse one and two. A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask. How have you loved us? Can you see what's going on there? The people are being loved by God and they don't know it. They don't know it. And this this actually highlights something that all of us know. And it's this. You can be loved and not know that you're loved. Right? Right? And, and some of you go, yeah, like I know that that can happen, but but how? And, and the the way that it happens is you can actually get out of step with relationship with God, and He can be loving you, and you'd be going, I can't even see where He loves me. I I have seen this heaps and heaps of times with married people. When married people come to me for help with their marriage, one one partner one one of the spouses is is kind of out of step relationally with the other one and is is clueless about the fact that the other one's loving them you know and 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 part of it I mean I don't say it like this right because that's not what counselors do so but I sit there and I go you idiot like that that person is like really loving you heaps and it's like they just haven't got a clue and the reason why they don't have a clue is because they've turned away from their spouse and they're, they're facing in some other direction. Um, there's a corporate uh, goal to what I'm saying today. There's a church-wide goal, but there's a very, very personal one. Uh, and here's, here's, here's my heart for you um, and, and the leadership. We, we want you to know you're loved all year round. <laughs> Anyone think that's a good plan? We want you to know that you're loved all year round, all right? And if, if you are someone who's just going, I reckon that's good. Well, here's what you need to do to know that you're loved by God all year round. You need to stay in relationship with Him. You need to pay attention to things, you know, because I almost put up here, we want you to feel that you're loved all year round, but then that would probably set some of you off. But if you went all year and you didn't feel loved by God, uh, that would be a problem too. Um, I use the word know, and I, I don't mean it in a, only a cognitive way that you know some kind of fact. Biblical knowing is way, way, way more than that. It's kind of knowing down in your gut, all right? That's what it is. And if you're a dude here and it's like, it's not a gushy feelings thing, all right? Uh, It's it's not just like a female kind of thing. This is not everyone thing, right? Everyone wants to be loved, right? Right? Here's what Malachi is going to tell you, is you're not going to know that you're loved unless you stay in the relationship. And so you're going to need to be careful and pay attention to some things that are really important and so he's he's going to go through and talk about what we offer to god that's what we're doing next week is he going to go and talk about what's happening in marriages he's going to talk about what we're doing about injustice he's going to talk about what we're doing with our tithing what we're giving to the lord from our finances now do you see it like there's plenty of home front going on there at that point um anyway okay Mike's one of us. I'm Kane. We'll talk into it next week.